What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Insisted Tarzan, you may go on towards civilization, and I will return for the treasure. I can go very much faster alone. I have a better plan, Tarzan, exclaimed Arnaud. We shall go on together to the nearest settlement, and there we will charter a boat and sail back down the coast for the treasure, and so transport it easily. That will be safer and quicker, and also not require us to be separated. What do you think of that plan? Very well, said Tarzan. The treasure will be there whenever we go for it, and while I could fetch it now, and catch up with you in a moon or two, I shall feel safer for you to know that you are not alone on the trail. When I see how helpless you are, Darnot, I often wonder how the human race has escaped annihilation all these ages which you tell me about. Why, Sabor, single-handed, could exterminate a thousand of you. Darnot laughed. You will think more highly of your genus when you have seen its armies and navies, its great cities, and its mighty engineering works. Then you will realize that it is mind, and not muscle, that makes the human animal greater than the mighty beasts of your jungle. Alone and unarmed, a single man is no match for any of the larger beasts. But if ten men were together, they would combine their wits and their muscles against their savage enemies while the beasts, being unable to reason, would never think of combining against the men. Otherwise, Tarzan of the Apes, how long would you have lasted in the savage wilderness? You are right, Darnot, replied Tarzan, for if Kerchak had come to Tublat's aid that night at the Dum-Dum, there would have been an end of me. But Kerchak could never think far enough ahead to take advantage of any such opportunity. Even Kayla, my mother, could never plan ahead. She simply ate what she needed when she needed it. And if the supply was very scarce, even though she found plenty for several meals, she would never gather any ahead. I remember that she used to think it very silly of me to burden myself with extra food upon the march, though she was quite glad to eat it with me if the way chanced to be barren of sustenance. "'Then you knew your mother, Tarzan?' asked Darnot in surprise. "'Yes, she was a great fine ape, larger than I, and weighing twice as much.' "'And your father?' asked Darnot. "'I did not know him. Kayla told me he was a white ape, and hairless like myself. I know now that he must have been a white man.' Darnot looked long and earnestly at his companion. "'Tarzan!' he said at length, it is impossible that the ape Kayla was your mother. If such a thing can be, which I doubt, you would have inherited some of the characteristics of the ape, but you have not. You are pure man, and I should say, the offspring of highly bred and intelligent parents. Have you not the slightest clue to your past? Not the slightest, replied Tarzan. 
no writings in the cabin that might have told something of the lives of its original inmates? I have read everything that was in the cabin with the exception of one book, which I know now to be written in a language other than English. Possibly you can read it. Tarzan fished the little black diary from the bottom of his quiver and handed it to his companion. D'Arnot glanced at the title page. It is the diary of John Clayton, Lord Greystoke, an English nobleman, and it is written in French, he said. Then he proceeded to read the diary that had been written over twenty years before, and which recorded the details of the story which we already know. The story of adventure, hardships, and sorrow of John Clayton and his wife Alice, from the day they left England until an hour before he was struck down by Kerchak. D'Arnot read aloud. At times his voice broke, and he was forced to stop reading for the pitiful hopelessness that spoke between the lines. Occasionally he glanced at Tarzan, but the ape-man sat upon his haunches like a carven image, his eyes fixed upon the ground. Only when the little babe was mentioned did the tone of the diary alter from the habitual note of despair which had crept into it by degrees after the first two months upon the shore. Then the passages were tinged with a subdued happiness that was even sadder than the rest. One entry showed an almost hopeful spirit. "'Today our little boy is six months old. He is sitting in Alice's lap beside the table where I am writing. A happy, healthy, perfect child. Somehow, even against all reason, I seem to see him a grown man, taking his father's place in the world, the second John Clayton, and bringing added honors to the house of Greystoke. There!' as though to give my prophecy the weight of his endorsement. He has grabbed my pen in his chubby fists, and with his ink-begrimed little fingers has placed the seal of his tiny fingerprints upon the page. And there, on the margin of the page, were the partially blurred imprints of four wee fingers and the outer half of the thumb. When Darnot had finished the diary, the two men sat in silence for some minutes. Well. Tarzan of the Apes, what think you? asked Darnot. Does not this little book clear up the mystery of your parentage? Why, man, you are Lord Greystoke. The book speaks of but one child, he replied. Its little skeleton lay in the crib, where it died crying for nourishment, from the first time I entered the cabin until Professor Porter's party buried it, with its father and mother, beside the cabin. No, that was the babe that book speaks of, and the mystery of my origin is deeper than before, for I have thought much of late of the possibility of that cabin having been my birthplace. I am afraid that Kayla spoke the truth, he concluded sadly. Darnot shook his head. He was unconvinced, and in his mind had sprung the determination to prove the correctness of his theory, for he had discovered the key which alone could unlock the mystery or consign it forever to the realms of the unfathomable. A week later the two men came suddenly upon a clearing in the forest. In the distance were several buildings surrounded by a strong palisade. Between them and the enclosure stretched a cultivated field in which a number of negroes were working. The two halted at the edge of the jungle. Tarzan fitted his bow with a poisoned arrow, but Darnot placed a hand upon his arm. "'What would you do, Tarzan?' 
he asked. "'They will try to kill us if they see us,' replied Tarzan. "'I prefer to be the killer.' "'Maybe they are friends,' suggested Tarno. "'They are black,' was Tarzan's only reply. And again he drew back his shaft. "'You must not, Tarzan!' cried Darnot. "'White men do not kill wantonly. Mon Dieu, but you have much to learn. I pity the ruffian who crosses you, my wild man. When I take you to Paris, I will have my hands full keeping your neck from beneath the guillotine.' Tarzan lowered his bow and smiled. "'I do not know why I should kill the blacks back there in my jungle, but not kill them here.' Suppose Numa the lion should spring out upon us, I should say then, I presume, Good morning, Monsieur Numa, how is Madame Numa, eh? Wait until the blacks spring upon you, replied Darnot. Then you may kill them. Do not assume that men are your enemies until they prove it. Come, said Tarzan, let us go and present ourselves to be killed. And he started straight across the field his head held high and the tropical sun beating upon his smooth brown skin. Behind him came Darnot, clothed in some garments which had been discarded at the cabin by Clayton when the officers of the French cruiser had fitted him out in more presentable fashion. Presently one of the blacks looked up, and beholding Tarzan, turned, shrieking toward the palisade. In an instant the air was filled with cries of terror from the fleeing gardeners, but before any had reached the palisade, a white man emerged from the enclosure, rifle in hand, to discover the cause of the emotion. What he saw brought his rifle to his shoulder, and Tarzan of the apes would have felt cold lead once again, had not Darnot cried loudly to the man with the leveled gun, "'Do not fire! We are friends!' "'Halt, then!' was the reply. "'Stop, Tarzan!' cried Darnot. "'He thinks we are enemies!' Tarzan dropped into a walk, and together he and Darnot advanced toward the white man by the gate. The latter eyed them in puzzled bewilderment. "'What manner of men are you?' he asked in French. "'White men,' replied Darnot. "'We have been lost in the jungle for a long time.' The man had lowered his rifle and now advanced with outstretched hand. "'I am Father Constantine of the French mission here.' he said, and I am glad to welcome you. "'This is Monsieur Tarzan, Father Constantine,' replied Darnot, indicating the ape-man, and as the priest extended his hand to Tarzan, Darnot added, "'And I am Paul Darnot of the French Navy.' Father Constantine took the hand which Tarzan extended in imitation of the priest's act, while the latter took in the superb physique and handsome face in one quick, keen glance." And thus came Tarzan of the Apes to the first outpost of civilization. For a week they remained there, and the ape-man, keenly observant, learned much of the ways of men. Meanwhile black women sewed white duck garments for himself and Darnot, so that they might continue their journey properly clothed. End of chapter